Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello again, and welcome to yet another episode of A Million Other Choices. Once again, I am your host, Kim. Thank you for tuning in and for all your support. Following me on Facebook and Instagram and for the reviews and the rates that I've received on Apple. One thing I really love is the personal recommendations to friends and all of it. It helps me grow this podcast and to get these stories into the ears of more listeners. And I really appreciate that. Speaking of which, I just have to have a little brag moment. I was recently picked as one of the 30 top Canadian crime podcasts by Feedspot. Now, if you are looking for new podcasts, blogs, websites, whatever, Um, definitely check out Feedspot. Uh, On there, you can subscribe to any of your favorite content, whether it's podcasts, blogs, new websites, and get them all in one place. Really efficient to read and easy to share from there. Plus, they have a a huge database of curated collections, so you can find really good podcasts that are actually worth your time to check out and not just what Apple's algorithms tell you to listen to. So thank you to Feedspot for taking the time to actually review my podcast and finding it worthy to put in the number 14 spot on their list. to today's case. This was a case suggestion from another listener. She emailed me that she's listening from Arizona, but she used to live in Saskatchewan. So this case has always been of particular interest to her. So thank you to you. You know who you are, Saskatchewan to Arizona. This was a great suggestion and one that I think that you're really going to enjoy hearing. And by enjoy, you know what I mean. This is the murder of Dorothy Woods from Saskatoon. Dorothy, nicknamed Dots by friends and family, 
was a bit of a spitfire. She was born in Saskatoon in 1966. She finished high school at Hugh Carnes, VC, and Walter Murray Collegiate, and moved to Calgary to pursue art at SAIT. She then returned to Saskatoon after she'd finished SAIT and started working at the Army and Navy there. She was a really popular and fun-loving woman. She, um, obviously I never met her, but I can just kind of tell from the pictures that she was just very outgoing. Um, and yeah, she was probably just a hoot. In 1994, she married David Woods, and together they started a family. I believe they had two children, a daughter and a son. In 2003, they moved to a home on Riel Crescent in Nutana Park. I think that's how you say it, Nutana Park, in the city's southeast. And in 2007, she opened her own daycare and called it Artsy Fartsy Daycare, which I'm sure the little ones just loved. I love that name. She also was a big lover of roller derby, and she played under the name Cheap Shot Dot in a derby league that she herself had kind of organized, and her team was called Dot's Rebels. She was a, a, a tough lady, but very kind, and she was what my dad would have called salt of the earth, just very genuine and unpretentious. And it was no secret to anyone that Dorothy had in the later years, become unhappy in her marriage to David. Her friends knew it, David knew it, so with total respect and no victim blaming, uh, I am going to say that Dorothy, she did see other men, but according to a number of reports that I read, when David first became aware of her infidelity, they actually agreed in 2011 to an open relationship. According to David, the arrangement was that they were to be discreet and the family couldn't know about it. But it doesn't sound like David was particularly happy with this arrangement um, at all. In November, or sorry, in October of 2011, David found messages from a man named Wayne Lewis and texted him back saying, quote, you want my wife? Come and get her. I have friends who find people for a living. I'll be talking to him. On November 10th, 2011, Dorothy was supposed to meet a man named Patrick at a hotel, and when David found out, he locked her out of the house. The next day, she texted her friend to say that she was planning on leaving David for a man named Derek Brown. So on that, the next day, so on November 11th, she is actually seen on surveillance footage leaving a Sobeys on 8th Street with some groceries um, in a bag around 6 p.m. that day. And about an hour later, she met up with her friend Sandy Lukowitz. They talked about how Dorothy was going to leave her husband and get a duplex nearby so that she could be close to her kids. And then later that night, she met up with this Derek Brown, and then she got home around 10.30 p.m., and she watched a movie together with her family. David went to bed first, and then the kids went to bed, and then finally Dorothy. And now Dorothy's daughter, who was 15 at the time, said she heard the front door open and close around 1 in the morning. And she got up to check. She said that her dad was still sleeping, but her mom was gone. But Dorothy's truck was still in the garage, so she just assumed that her mom had been picked up by somebody. So the next day, David does some, some errands. It's a Sunday, um, and there's no sign of Dorothy. On Monday, David calls 
um, Dorothy's brother, Lawrence Carter, and told him don't bother to bring his daughter over to the daycare because Dorothy has run off. Now, she apparently disappeared sometime in the middle of the night on November 12th, 2011. On November 15th, which is now four days after Dorothy was last seen, David called the police. He, he just wanted to report her missing, but they didn't really take a missing persons report because he told them that she'd probably just run off with another man. And he didn't sound particularly emotional or upset um, that his wife was missing, so they just didn't take it very seriously. But two of Dorothy's lovers, Wayne, this Wayne, what is his last name? Wayne Lewis and Derek received a series of text messages that were nearly identical to to each other. And they were sent from Dorothy's phone, but from someone who identified himself as Dot's husband. And these were, I mean, they were racist and threatening. Lawrence Carter who again was Dorothy's brother, she, he said that after Dorothy had returned from a trip to Las Vegas, that she revealed to him that she was now at that time very attracted to men of color. So Derek reported the text messages to the police who go to the Real Crescent for the first time and they, they kind of do a bit of a search. Um, they don't see any signs of a struggle. They, they really just don't find anything alarming. So Dorothy's brother, Lawrence, and another friend filed a formal report. So Dorothy was officially declared missing on November 17th, 2011. Now, Sandra Lukovich, the friend of hers who she had met with um, the day before she went missing, she said that on that, or when he'd found out about Derek, that he had kicked her kicked her out of the home, but had taken her house keys, her credit cards, and... Um, she also shared with her a series of texts that were from David accusing her of sleeping around with black men and describing her as a slut. I personally would have used the term men of color here, but I'm kind of quoting the terminology that was used by the people in the news reports. So don't come at me. So David Woods was brought in for questioning. Now, this was his first formal police interview with Sergeant David Hudson, who was a former investigator with the Major Crimes Unit. And in this interview, he denied sending any threatening messages, and he very calmly talked about how he discovered um, Dorothy was having affairs and how he had agreed with her that it was a good idea to end their marriage. He says the last time that he saw her was on the home was in their home on the night of November 11th and that she had been watching a movie with their kids. So he said he woke up in the middle of the night, went outside to have a smoke and noticed that Dorothy was gone and then he just went back to bed. Now in this interview he says, quote, I think she's with some guy. Honestly, that's what I think. I don't think anything bad has happened or anything like that. End quote. He also said that her purse and her makeup bag were gone. But during the search, um, they found her black makeup bag in the garbage bin in the black backyard. And her purse they found stuffed inside a cabinet in the garage. They also found a receipt for some, like, polyplastic, they call it, like, big roll of poly. Um, and nylon rope that David bought from the co-op the day before his 
wife matched and they actually were able to find the packaging for the poly and for the rope. Surveillance footage from the co-op shows him. He's with his son buying um buys a roll of plastic poly and then the and the nylon robes. Now friends and family are continuing to search for Dorothy during this time. And about two months later, on January 4th, David took a drive out to Blackstrap Lake because the media had reported something about a body being found outside the city. What he didn't know is that the police had placed a GPS tracker on his truck. And that trip out there to Blackstrap Lake led the police to Dorothy's body. So police get another search warrant. This time they're looking for evidence of a murder. They'd search the house, the garage, even the backyard, but they they really found nothing. No blood, no bleach, no cleanup, nothing. Her body was found that day in a culvert under Highway 11 that sort of empties into Blackstrap Lake. The highway connects Saskatoon to Regina, and it's really heavily used. You can't see into the culvert from the highway, but you can see the highway from the culvert, if that makes sense. She was found wrapped in plastic, basically um, frozen inside this culvert. And then there was a rope that was tied three times around her neck and her hands had been tied behind her back. And it appeared that she had been hit over the head with something and then tied up and strangled. Sandy Lukowicz said, quote, deep down, I knew she wasn't with us anymore because she would never leave her kids, end quote. So David was arrested and brought into custody two days after her body had been found. Uh, as the news release states, uh, we arrested um, a 49-year-old man today, uh, that was this afternoon, and he is now charged with murder in the disappearance and the homicide of Dorothy Ann Woods. And as you know, uh, we received a missing persons report in uh, mid-November. Dorothy Woods' family reported her missing. Uh, she was last seen in the early morning hours at her home uh, on Riel Crescent. And since that time, uh, we have investigated it uh, very aggressively. And uh, we have today the result of some very excellent police work. And uh, we have someone in custody. We have recovered human remains, unfortunately. And we have positively identified those remains as... Uh, the body of, of Dorothy Atwoods. Allison, uh, I understand the remains were found on Wednesday. Why did it take between Wednesday and today to even say that remains were found? That uh, it was it was the um, it was the need, I guess, to to keep that information um, as quiet as possible to not uh, necessarily go public with the discovery of that re of the uh, remains earlier than that because it would have jeopardized the investigation and possibly could have uh, jeopardized the uh, the resulting arrest. You said this is the result of excellent police work. What makes this excellent? Well, I think that has to come out over time. I can't get into the details again, but uh, uh, our major crime investigators and, and they were assisted by by other members of the service and other units. Um, you know, really um, uh, went above and beyond uh, in, in trying to uh, bring closure to uh, 
to this case, and, and certainly um, it's, it's not the kind of result we wanted, um, but it hopefully will bring some closure for, for Dorothy Wood's family. He made his first court appearance, and a large number of Dorothy's friends and families attended. Uh, my mom is, uh, Dorothy is one of Dorothy's best friends, and uh, she put on a baby shower for my son Samuel, and he was going to be going to her daycare in August when I went back to school, so now we have to start that process of looking for another daycare. And, I mean, we went out every weekend just, just looking. I'm, I'm happy we got her back now, so we can start another process, which is the healing process. Did you know David at all? just through family but I never really did see him it was always her that was putting on everything and she was really the base of both parents you know she was doing everything for those kids. Did, did you hear her did anybody say anything about what type of dad he was? No nothing at all really I mean he was quiet never I don't know anything about him you know he's very quiet but Dorothy was a wonderful woman and that's what we're here for today. In May 2012, Justice Peter Foley released David on $10,000 bail. He was on strict conditions. They included electronic monitoring, and he was only allowed to go to work and have pre-approved visits with his mom and his now adult son. Uh, He was banned from consuming alcohol, possessing any weapons, and was allowed one cell phone with a device that records all his incoming and outgoing calls. But... Two months later, the Crown appealed, and the Court of Appeal reversed the bail decision, so he was ordered back into custody. He agreed to proceed directly to the trial with any, like he waived his right to a preliminary hearing, and he chose to be tried by a judge and a jury, rather than, like, you always have your choice. You can be tried by um, a jury which then the judge makes the final decision or just by a judge. But um, he fired his second lawyer. So that completely delayed his trial. And he finally brought on um, a defense lawyer named Mike Nolan. And so he, his actual trial started in April of 2014. They had 13 jurors, nine women, four men, and the chief justice Martel Poscule was the presiding judge. Dorothy's brother, Lawrence, had a bit of a encounter, I guess you could say, with uh, David going into the courtroom. He's, he says, quote, I kind of looked towards him and kind of shrugged my shoulders and put my hands up asking why. And he just mouthed, I believe it was, fuck you. And that was it from him. So the lead investigator, Sergeant David Hudson, who is now retired, he took the stand on the third day of the trial and he kind of explained how the whole investigation had, uh, had gone. He said that two calls from Woods had been made to the police. He explained about the text messages that were sent from Dorothy's phone around the time she went missing uh, and a call that Dorothy had made to the police a few months before she was killed. She had actually at some point put in um, a report on David for domestic violence. And so, of course, recordings from those two calls were made into the court. The first call made on November 10th was the day before Dorothy was last seen. He reported his wife was driving impaired during that call and told the police that he didn't want her to come home that evening. 
And then the second call was on November 15th when Woods told the police that he believed his wife had run off with another man. And the dispatcher at that time just basically said, we're not going to file a missing persons report because if you're saying he's she's run off with another man, then um, maybe call us back if you suspect foul play, which he never did phone them back. David was the first to report Dorothy missing. The detective said that it was an odd call and that he didn't sound particularly emotional at all. The call that Dorothy had made came in in February 2011 to report domestic abuse. And an emergency intervention was ordered and David was removed from the home on that night for about a month, actually. The defense said in the trial that the couple was in this open relationship and that Dorothy's daughter had actually missed school a few times to run because she had to run the daycare because her mother was too drunk from partying the night before. I don't know why that became a defense for him, but that's what they used. Now, surprisingly, David testified on his own behalf at the trial. He admitted to lying to the the police a few times after his wife disappeared. Um, he said that he believed that his wife had left the house with a makeup bag and that he had just thrown it into the garbage in the backyard, as well as a number of credit cards. And uh, in fact, he had put them into a locked toolbox in the garage. He said he didn't tell the police that him and his wife were in this open relationship. And the prosecutor, who was Michael Segu, said, you were deliberately lying on multiple occasions to the very people who might be able to locate Dorothy. And Woods responded, saying, they are just playing with me. They weren't trying to help me. The prosecutor asked if he was familiar with the area south of Saskatoon where Dorothy's body had been found. He said that he had hunted deer um, and had friends who had an acreage out there. He was also asked why he sent threatening messages to Dorothy's boyfriends when they're in an open relationship. And he said that he was angry because Dorothy was leaving condom wrappers in one of their trucks and she wasn't being discreet, he said. And I guess the condition on his this open relationship was that they would be discreet and not let family members know about that arrangement. He said that he delayed reporting Dorothy missing for a few days because he figured she was just off with one of her boyfriends. And at that point, he just didn't really care. Now, under cross-examination, he admitted to bringing a prostitute to his house three weeks after Dorothy had disappeared. The prosecutor said that, oh, you must have felt comfortable bringing a prostitute home because you knew your wife was never coming back. And Wood said that, no, that wasn't why. His lawyer, Michael Nolan, argued that basically there was no DNA evidence to convict Woods, that the Crown's case relied too much on circumstantial evidence. But the jury, after a month trial, found him guilty of first-degree murder um, and Dorothy's brother Lawrence gave at his impact victim impact statement, he said in part, quote, My feelings were deeply hurt by the false betrayal of Dorothy. I'm shattered and emotionally drained and have been for the longest time. Justice Poposcule? Justice Popops Pop Oh my god, that is a name. It's like Pope Skull. Pope Skull? Popop Popescal. 
Justice Popescal, sentenced Woods to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. Dorothy's loved ones cheered, and both the prosecutor and defense later gave their thoughts outside on the courthouse steps. Well, certainly regardless of the outcome, uh, my thoughts go out to the Carter family. This has been a very long and a very difficult process uh, for both the members of Dorothy's family and uh, Dorothy and David's two children, Caitlin and Liam. So um, it's a very difficult position that they find themselves in. I would also comment on the extraordinary police work that was done in this case. Um, I really give uh, my true admiration to the Saskatoon Police Department. To do an investigation of this quality without either a body or a witness it was truly a remarkable piece of the detective work. I was pleased that we had an extremely attentive jury that took their duties seriously and paid very close attention to a significant amount of detailed evidence. This was a case that had no admission, no eyewitness. It was a very strong circumstantial case, but it was a circumstantial case nonetheless. And it was up to the jury to draw the connections between all the pieces of evidence in order to find Mr. Woods guilty. And that required attention, which they gave. And for that, I was thankful. Uh, of course, I'm disappointed. Uh, every time you go into a trial of this uh, nature, you're hoping uh, for an acquittal. But at the end of the day, um, the elephant in the room spoke pretty darn loud. Uh, certainly he's very disappointed and uh, he still maintains his innocence so uh, I suspect uh, you'll see him appeal down. As most people would be that are facing a uh, defining moment of their life, win, lose or draw this man doesn't get his life back. Uh, there are no winners in cases like this. Uh, they're still two young children that don't have a mother anymore uh, and they haven't had a father for three or four years. So, Since his conviction David Woods has gone through several lawyer, lawyers and an appeal was originally supposed to be held in two, 2017, but more time was given because he needed to keep changing his legal counsel. So when his appeal finally happened in 2019, his premise was that he questioned the judge decision making and instructions to the jury and the effectiveness of his legal representation and whether it was reasonable for a jury to have, to have found him guilty of first-degree murder. He pointed out that Nolan, the lawyer's decision not to give an opening statement, hindered the effective presentation of his defense. He said that Nolan had failed to introduce relevant evidence and also failed to block introduction of bad character evidence. Uh, he also said that he failed to adequately prepare him for testifying. Nolan, for his part, disputed the allegations made against him. He said that his client was facing a mountain of circumstantial evidence, but he did his best to mount a defense. He felt like the, the Crown's questioning of Woods was exceptionally effective and caused significant problems for his defense. And he said that before and during the trial, Woods had quote, had always told me that he was innocent and had not murdered his wife. Nolan said that once Woods found was found guilty, he met privately with him and, quote, as is my practice, I asked him if he had done it. Woods had replied, yes, he killed his wife. 
I was surprised Mr. Woods admitted this to me, but in light of all the evidence, I was not surprised, end quote. He also said that he faced a moral dilemma during the trial when Woods gave two completely different versions of events in his testimony. So he decided to continue to represent his client through the trial and filed his initial appeal documents. He said that Woods never expressed dissatisfaction with his work and he quit being his lawyer in 2015 after Woods' mother had filed a complaint against him to the Law Society of Saskatchewan. Quote, to be clear, Woods never second-guessed me or suggested that I had done anything wrong or could have done more. It is only after the fact that he's found fault in my representation of him, end quote. So in August of 2019, the Court of Appeal for Saskatchewan in Regina disagreed and ruled unanimously against a new trial. In the decision... Justice Peter Whitmore wrote that the proposed errors of the defense lawyer were weighed against the large amount of incriminating evidence. Quote, the actions and inactions of trial counsel did not prejudice the jury. There was no miscarriage of justice, end quote. Now, he still has the option to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. But at the time of this podcast, I did not find any record of his case on the Supreme Court. Court of Canada docket nor any written decision, so it can probably be assumed that he is still serving his sentence. He's going to be eligible for parole in 2036. And that was the murder of Dorothy Woods. Or thank you again for the suggestion. And to all of you that follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and who send me messages and who listen every week. As far as I know, I'm going to be back next week with another case. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.